oh, well, I went off of the arm bar because I knew his family was in the arena and I didn't want to hurt Justin, so I'd rather choke him out instead of break his arm because I know Justin wouldn't have tapped. That's some crazy shit if that's real. I'm ill. I'm ill. Yo, what up? We are back. We're here on the Dope Blog. It's me, Charles Day, my partner in crime, Tim Owens, and we are discussing the excellence that was UFC 254 and the retirement of Khabib Nurmagomedov. Holy shit. The whole event was pretty quick relatively to all the other Ultimate Fighting Championship events. But there, a lot happened on the undercard. A lot happened at the end of the main event with the retirement of the undefeated, undisputed, lightweight champion of the world. Habib, he's done. He was tearful. He retired in the ring. He left his gloves in the ring. Will we ever see him again? We don't know. We're going to get into all of that. But before we get started, what up, cuz? How you doing today? What is your general feeling of what took place this weekend what's up man what's up <laughs> that's a lot of a lot of feelings i'll be honest uh it was a, overall like you said one of the quicker cards uh, it was it was amazing actually i mean we had a lot of finishes for this card from the early prelims to the prelims to the main card it was just action the entire time the entire night it was really great it you know having that Two o'clock time for the main card start, 10.30 a.m. Eastern for, uh, or 11, I guess, Eastern for uh, the prelim card starting. It was, you know, it throws you off if you forget it's an actual fight night kind of day, you know. But still, it was great, great to see. I had a had a good time watching 254. I, I got no complaints about it, I think. Yeah, and like you said, I missed the complete preliminary card. And we were talking about the main event of the prelims, uh, Tuavasa and Struve. I wanted to see that. I just missed it because things were going on in life on Saturday. But I got to watch the whole main card. What were your takeaways from the prelims? Interesting, interesting. I mean, the early prelims, you know, we had two stoppages instantly. One was the uh, women's flyweight, which was that doctor stoppage right after the first round. And then uh, the first fight was a submission uh, via armbar in the first round as well. You know, decent, you know, just, you know how those early prelim cards are. They're just kind of getting people's names out there and then you move up to actually the main preliminary card which was which was a lot of fun actually like you said you had uh the main event for that uh prelim card was tied to Ivasa versus Stefan Struve that ended with excitement we had the Casey Kenny Nathaniel Wood fight which actually ended up getting uh I believe fight of the night oh interesting that- enough about that fight I caught the end of that fight when I say I caught the end it was literally the end of the fight and they just had the uh stats put up and it was the strikes, it was the, you know, head kicks, leg shots, takedowns. And one dude had more head shots, the other dude had more leg shots, and then that same guy had two takedowns, but he was two for six for takedowns. And I just thought to myself, how the hell are you going to score this fight? Because I didn't know the the, the, record, uh, the round breakdown. I just saw the stats, and I was like, oh, this is as even of a fight you could have had. Oh, it was, it, was, it was insane. Yeah, they went to town. First round... Really tough to score second round. I mean, all three. I'm, I was going to just kind of repeat myself around one, two, and three, and I'll just skip that. All three rounds were really difficult to score. 
I don't want to take away anything. Casey Kenny ends up getting the decision win. First time I watched it through, I gave it to Nathaniel Wood because he, he did end up with a little bit more significant strikes. But I think what really made the decision is is the entire time Casey Kenny was coming forward. So if you didn't get a chance to watch that thing in its entirety, especially with these two guys that are coming up, I definitely recommend going back watching that just to see. I mean, these they were banging the whole time. The whole first round was was foot pedal, foot pedal, huh? Foot on the pedal down to down to the floor, just revving red line the whole time. First round, second round it slowed up a little bit, and then they came back third round banging again. It was it was it was an overall good fight. So I definitely agree with the uh, fight of the night bonus for those guys. Nice, nice, and like you said, it was Casey Kenny defeating Nathaniel Wood, and unanimous decision. The, the, the main event of the preliminary card was tied to Avasa versus the skyscraper, Stefan Struve. And Lord behold, to Avasa knocks him out in the first round. At the end of the first round, this isn't really surprising to anybody that's ever saw Tai to Avasa fight. Dude got hammers for fists. And like we said last week, it's going to end in the first round. There's going to be a really long uh, three rounds because it's a heavyweight bout. But that got it done. Uh, did, he, did he get any bonuses for the knockout? Do you know? Um, no, he did not. Uh, I got right here all the bonuses just to go over them. So we have them just, uh, it was fighting the night, the Casey Kenny, Nathaniel Wood, and then two performance of the nights were given out. Magomed Ankalov, which was the opening of the main card and Khabib obviously was also performance of the night. So, all right, let's get to the main card because you brought up Magomed Ankalov weeks ago. So you've been talking about how he's one of these guys in the light heavyweight division we need to keep our eyes on. Lo and behold, first round after the controversial finish of their first match, it was Magomed Ankalov versus Ian Kutalaba, right? Yep, Kutalaba, yep. Boom, getting better. And <laughs> so the first fight to set it up pretty much got stopped early, and some fans got mad. I'm not mad because the ref, uh, Kutalaba, was playing possum. He kept doing it, acting like he was getting dazed. And the ref thought it was for real because, as we know, Uncle Ev is throwing these bangers and he called the fight a little too early. Did he do it too early? Apparently not because quick work to open this fight. First round, four minutes, 19 seconds in, game over. Uncle Ev is fighting, what, this is like the fourth time this year or something like that? Something like that, yeah. I would uh, have to pull it up, but I believe it's at least three, I think. Um, but yeah. Yeah, to go off what you're saying, it was it was rather quick work. Uh, I was one of those people that I understood kind of what was happening with Ian Kutalaba playing possum and trying to trying to bait Ankalov into uh, you know a brawl, uh, close you know face to face brawl. But I also am with you on that the ref was protecting the fighter. It, some of those kicks and when he was playing possum, because what was happening is uh, in that first fight, Uncle Ab was throwing these real high kicks to the head. And even though it looked like he was blocking them, every time he got hit in the head, that's when he would play possum, which I understand from a fighter strike trying to draw someone in. But you also got to pay attention to the ref. The ref's not just sitting there not speaking. Clearly the ref, even in those times of you know a little inside baseball with UFC, they're talking to the fighters while they're doing that. So he's saying, ah, show me something, show me something. You know, he the ref's very involved with what the fighters are doing. So if he, if, you know, I'd have to rewatch it back, but if the ref's going, show me something, show me something, and you don't do that, I could see where he calls it, you know? Oh, hell yeah. And so, you're right. Ironically, it's going to seem like we're speeding through this card, but that's how fast this event actually took place. That was a first-round knockout. 
The next match, women's flyweight, Lauren Murphy defeats. Not going to attempt the name. I'm sorry. It's an Uzbekistani name. I'm not going to get it. She lost from submission by rear naked choke in the second round. Then the third fight of the night on the main card, a middleweight fight, a UFC debut by a Jersey native, Jersey in the house without a doubt, Phil Megatron Hawes, 18 seconds into round one. This dude now has the second fastest middleweight knockout. Jersey, represent. I like the nickname (laughs) Megatron. There's not much more to say about it. I've just spent more time saying the name Phil Hawes than this fight actually took place in. So it's, it's good to keep an eye out on this guy. He was, uh, he was part of Dana White Contender Series, I believe. You watch all these shows, so you, you, you yes, might know. Yeah. But, I, but I'm always going to root for the, my home state of New Jersey. This dude definitely made a name for himself, uh, defeating Jacob McCoon. And, yeah, man, like this guy might fight in the next couple of months. So what did you think of this? Because he landed something, and the other dude went night-night. So. Oh, yeah, it was uh, it was brutal. He he came out and just, like you said, 20 seconds, put the, put the guy away. It was it was no chance. I, I was amazed by it. You're right. He does come off of the Dana White Contender Series, which he just fought last month. Uh, you know, last month in a couple of days. It was um, September 8th when his last fight was in Dana White Contender Series, and that was also a win in that first round. So, you know, he could be a shining star for for that division uh for sure he can be a shining star and it will uh it'll be fun to watch his rise if he keeps putting guys away in the first round like this we're gonna have some serious talking to do at middleweight (laughs) dude let's keep talking about middleweight no disrespect to the next fight a heavyweight matchup alexander volkov defeats walt harris walt harris was gassed like i would be after five minutes of fighting in the first round he loses in the second round one minute 15 seconds in because of a body shot to the liver a body kick to the liver and punches and then the co-main former champ, Robert Whitaker, taking on number two in the division, Jaron Cannonier. I was in a house with four of my homies. Everybody kind of wanted Cannonier to win. None of us were disrespecting Whitaker because we're not like that. We, we respect the dude's warrior. He's an ex-champ, yada, yada, yada. Everyone just kind of was rooting for the guy in middleweight that used to be a heavyweight. And I got to tell you, I had all three rounds for Whitaker. I know the first round... Should go either way because Whitaker had more headshots, Cannonier had more leg shots. So whatever one you want to score it, really, that's who you're going to side with. I had Whitaker in that first round, and the next two rounds, I don't think it was even really disputable. I kind of think Whitaker had all three rounds and deserved the unanimous win, the unanimous decision win that he got. Uh, what do you think about it? Yeah, yeah, I'm on the same boat. I, I honestly, yeah, that first round I even gave to Whitaker right off, off the top. I do see what you're saying with. Um, some of the counters and the leg kicks that Jared was having. But it looked like, you know, Whitaker started off a little slower, but I even, th- I even think in that second round once he came out, the announcer said something about, oh, you see how Whitaker's bouncing on his toes, blah, blah, blah. You, you know he feels comfortable in there. And that's what you see from the primetime Robert Whitaker that we know and love that made a name for himself at middleweight and was former champion. I was really looking forward to this fight for same reason and a little more selfish reasons to see Jared win and not to, like you said, not to disrespect Whitaker at all. It's not what I'm doing. I wanted to see it because that was the guy that when Izzy dismantled Paulo Costa, he goes, hey, Jared Cannonier, that could be fun. Just, you know, in passing. And then we see, well, Robert Whitaker says, well, no, that's my belt. Let me get back there. Give me one more shot. And I think we're going to see a different Robert Whitaker in there. He's, he seemed... From the Izzy fight, so two fights ago, when when he fought Izzy, he didn't. He seemed 
not to say a shell of himself, but I, I don't have any other words for it. You know, he came out and he looked like he already lost. You know, you know how that saying is, you know, you go in that ring and if you look like you already lost, you're probably going to uh, lose. Yeah, he looked like he had a lot of the fake confidence walking in. And ironically, on Saturday night, or Saturday, one of my friends said the same thing about Whitaker coming into the Cannoneer fight. And I, and I disagreed because I looked at it, and I didn't see false confidence. I saw what you saw. I saw Whitaker really having real confidence. And like you said, he's the former middleweight champ. He lost to the current champ, and he looked defeated in that fight. But that was because he got dropped at the end of the first round. He was coming in there, I think, confident. But within a couple seconds of the fight, he realized it was going to be a different fight than what he necessarily game planned for. Mm-hmm. And just like last week with Brian Ortega, I don't think Whitaker's done. So I do think we're going to have the Israel versus Whitaker too. I think it's going to be the same result, but it might be a better fight. Yeah, I think uh, I'm with you there. Uh, I think it's the same result. I don't see anyone taking the crown off of Izzy right now. Um so that being said, I think Robert does put it to him a little more though, because at the end of that, at the end, at the end of three, Robert looked so fresh. He looked like he was so good to go. He was all smiles uh, doing the post fight interview. It was, uh, it looked like he he still had two in him, which he was fighting as a champion for a good amount of time. So you can't say he he doesn't have the stamina to do five again. He's he only he's only had what one fight that was three rounds. I think the Darren Till fight was which was before Jericho and Nier was five rounds because it was the main event, I think. I can't, I can't remember. So this was his one fight that was only three. Not to say it's cake work to do three rounds, but for a guy that's been a champion, it's kind of cake work and you can kind of game plan a little better. So, yeah, I'm excited. I want to see – I want to see. I would love to see that uh, championship bout ran back between Robert Whitaker and Izzy because right now that, that kind of threw a wrench in everyone's plan of Jared moving up one and possibly taking the fr- number one contender spot. And, uh, yeah, Whitaker's like, nope, that's that's mine. Give me my second chance. <laughs> that's a great point, too, you made about the rounds and, and how fresh he looked. Because Cannoneer, I pointed out how why I scored the headshots more. Because going into the third round, Cannoneer had an eye closing up, which is, was affecting his depth perception. I was, sure, I was saying, as I was watching it, he's not landing the same hook he was landing in the first round because he lost one of his eyes and his depth perception is now off. Yep, and and hey, you can even you can even make the argument because if I'm I didn't rewatch that fight for this, but if I'm remembering at the very end when they're trying to close it out, you know they're trying to close it out. They know they're going to go to decision. Jared, I think, catches Whitaker and puts him back and and puts him on his on his uh, on his skates and starts sending him backwards. And Whitaker kind of finished out the fight protecting himself. So you never know if that was had an extra two rounds, that could have went a different way with that one connection or it could have been the same result but you know that's just speculation on on my part no you're right but, that, that did happen at the end of the third he caught him with something you could there were it's a mixture because i just rewatched it we're, we're recording us on monday evening the uh, after the fight and i rewatched that fight he hits him with a jab and it stops him and it, that looked like the one that stunned him and instead of trying to swing out of it, Whitaker kind of just stands up straight and backs up. And then he gets him against the cage. And you're right, maybe the fight would be different round four, round five. But I think it was more self-preservation. Let me not get knocked out and lose this fight that I'm winning. Mixed with going into round four or five, I still think Cannoneer would be just as gassed. So I, I don't really think, I don't really see that, you know, that, that being the difference in that fight. But like you said, we're probably going to look at Izzy and Whitaker too. 
And if Whitaker wins that, we have one of the best middleweight trilogies of all time. So win-win for everybody. And now we get to move on to the main event of UFC 254 and the story, both in UFC and the world of mixed martial arts. Khabib defeats Gaethje in two rounds and tears in his eyes, retires, leaves his gloves in the ring. Now we can talk about the fight, the actual fight first. Gaethje was gassed after round one. He didn't know, he, he couldn't stop him. And you kind of saw it in his eyes that after the first round, he knew he was in trouble. What, what did you see just watching the first round? Because that's the only round we really had to watch whole five minutes of these two warriors. Yeah, Khabib the Eagle, Naraga Medoff, man. It is the cap on one of the greatest careers you could ever see in mixed martial arts. He, the way he was able to put pressure on Gaethje, let's, let's talk about that first round, right? That first five minutes where that's where we really see the difference of the two fighters. Because, you know, the second round, it, it was, I'm not, you know, not taking anything away from Gaethje, but it was, it was almost lost one minute into that second round. It was, you could see, he, it's like, oh no, Khabib's, Khabib's gaining steam and he's not stopping. Um, what I, to get technical behind that fight, what I saw was amazing. I was actually watching with a buddy of mine who miraculously hasn't seen many Khabib fights, but I'm telling him at the beginning of the first round, we're, we're 30 seconds in and I go, look, Gaethje's really good at the stand up. You're going to see him trying to, trying to find a way to get at Khabib. And you're going to see him trying to find and pick his shots and counter Khabib with him coming in. Khabib is a good striker. They look like unorthodox strikes. Someone that's kind of untrained will be like, oh, he just looks like he's swinging wildly. He, trust me, Khabib is not. He knows what he's doing in there. But what the, the thing I made mention of, and, and you can kind of talk to this as well, is that every time I saw... Gaethje either throw like a little jab just to find spacing or a leg kick. Khabib got an inch closer. You watch the two, their front feet, their lead leg. Each time Khabib got an inch closer and an inch closer and an inch closer till he closed that distance. And I think, like you said, Gaethje looking gas at the end of that round. I think that's what it was because he even said, I, I can't keep him back. I can't keep that distance. I'm pretty sure he said that to his corner. Something to the effect of that is what uh, DC said in the post-fight. So, what, 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 you know what I'm saying there with uh, with him just kind of closing the distance there? That's that's what I saw for the first round. What about you? Exactly. Uh, it was weird because you saw Khabib in the middle of the ring. A shark circles their prey, right? That That's the stereotype when it comes to apex predators right there. But Khabib was standing in the middle and Gaethje wasn't running. He was trying to survive and stay the fuck away from the wrestler that Khabib is. So he, like you said, he's trying to keep this distance swinging on him, trying to strike. But Khabib keeps inching closer to him, inching closer to him, looking for a takedown. And the whole first round, depending on how you want to score it, if you're an old school boxing mind, you might be like, oh, well, obviously... Uh, Gaethje's the one swinging and, and it kind of it, it's hard to say you're running when you're the one going forward but people think or have a misconception I should say that just trying to go for a takedown is like a cop out or a punk's way out you don't want to stand up and bang you don't need to stand up and bang if you can throw somebody on the ground and choke them out which was what Khabib is known for so it was weird watching this first round because it didn't seem like they were feeling each other out it seemed like Gaethje was trying to feel him out and Khabib already knew, I'm going to take you down, and you're going to tap. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It looked like, you can't say he didn't have a game. It's his game plan. It's the same thing that 
no one in his 29 fights now, not a single one of them has been able to figure out this puzzle of, we, you know he's coming forward. You know he's coming for a takedown. That's that's all people talk about. And even with Gaethje, and I was praising, you know, last time we talked, Gaethje's wrestling, his wrestling background, this, that, and the other thing. When he got on that on the ground and actually on the mat, it looked like anything Gaethje knew about wrestling went right out the window. I mean, the first the first couple, you could see some some uh, pummeling exchanges, and that's you know, pummeling is when wrestlers are up top switching sides with their shoulders and everything, right? Mm-hmm. Those pummeling exchanges, that first one was was decent. You know, could be kind of did like a little mini uh, shot on a single leg. Gaethje threw him off, so I got hype. I'm like, oh, this is what I've been looking for, someone that can actually get out of that, and he did it a second time. But then, I think that first takedown, if I'm if I'm not mistaken, I, I think the first one came from when Gaethje's just chopping at those legs, chopping at those legs, and it looks like Khabib is going to fall because he chopped at that leg so hard, and mid-looking like he's going to fall, he goes for a double leg and gets him to the ground that first time in the first round, and I jumped out of my seat and said, Holy shit, he just got a takedown from what looks like him about to fall. No, you're, you're dead right. In the split second he does that, he gets hit in the leg. He falls, or it looks like he's about to fall. And that's when you're scoring that move for Gaethje. Like, oh, that, that's pretty much a takedown. Not a takedown, that's pretty much a knockdown. And it, while before he even hits the mat, it's like on his way down, Khabib just grabs his legs and just takes him out from under him. And all of a sudden now, it's a takedown for Khabib. Like what the fuck did I just see? Like just like so. So you you explained it better than I did. I just reacted to it as you were explaining it again because that's exactly what happened. If you didn't see this and you can't get what we're saying, that's how fast it really happened in the fight. Like it, it, you register it as kick, fall. Wait, that's not a fall. That was a takedown. Who gets kicked in the leg, loses their balance, and gets a takedown? I don't understand how that fucking happened, but it did. And in going in the round two. It was over already. Rewatching it, it was it was more clear than live. But going in the round two, you just see on his face like I don't know what I'm gonna do to stop the takedown now. Yeah, you could you could see it. I mean, just cutting to the corner, Gaethje was breathing so heavy, and I'm like, he he was just moving the whole time. It's not like he was doing a crazy amount of striking, uh, Gaethje. Uh, it was an average amount of striking, but how much Khabib kept him on his back foot and just backing away, backing away. Like you said, it wasn't like Gaethje was running. Gaethje did a really good job at keeping distance for a good amount of time through that first round. It's just, it gets tiring backing up, backing up, backing up that entire time. Going forward is a lot harder than going backwards. If you know, if you if you've never been in any type of class or boxing class like that, coming forward is really easy. You come forward, you kind of lean all your weight. Going back, you're on your heels, kind of you know trying to keep on your front feet, not going back too quick. It takes a lot more energy out of you. So, like you said, a shark kind of circling, and even I I can't even give a real explanation as to what it is, but it's it's terrifying, and that's what we saw through this career that. Khabib has had this these 29 fights it has been all just domination and I, I didn't see I mean you, you called what round three or four yeah I said I said probably right? round no I said TKO in like one of the later rounds because I thought he would get him down and just land one of those punches while, while he has them against the mat and I was wrong because it, it's kind of like two weeks ago with a Korean zombie he could knock somebody out at any time and obviously, Khabib can make you tap at any time because the submission, the triangle choke he got Gaethje in to to beat to beat him, 
looked devastating and Gaethje tapped fast. When I say fast, re-watching it, the ref doesn't see the first tap. Like he taps the second he gets it in. And it, and it, like visually, it looks more like a oh shit tap. But once you know what he's doing, it, no, he tapped that fast. And then it was like another 10 seconds in the hold before the ref realized, oh shit, and, and, got, him, and got him done. And Khabib immediately starts crying. It's his first, you know, fight without his father since he passed away. And it's an emotional moment. And we're going to get into it now. Where Khabib ranks all time. Now, just for context, if he retires now, he retires at 29-0. Eight wins by knockout, 11 by submission, 10 by decision. He got to the UFC at 16-0. His first UFC fight was in January of 2012. And, and according to Wikipedia, it says that it was his return to lightweight. So, since January 2012, he's defeated Kamal Shaloris, Gleason Tabao. I'm saying that. I'm butchering that name. Tiago Tavares, Abel Trujillo, Pat Healy, Rafael Dos Anjos, Daryl uh, Horsher, then Michael Johnson, then Edson Barbosa, then Alan Iliquinta, Conor McGregor, Dustin Poirier, Justin Gaethje. Some people are going to argue that it's not enough to be considered the GOAT. I want to give props to Al Iaquinta, Iaquinta, however you say his name, that dude gets a lot of shit. Iaquinta. I knew I'm saying it. Yeah, it was bugging the shit out of me. But a lot of people give him a lot of shit because he has a job as a realtor. That's one of the only dudes in this elite era of Khabib that actually went all five rounds and it went to decision. So you got to give that man. To to real quick, and and I'll let you keep going, not only to go all five rounds, I give it to Al Iaquinta because. He took that as a last minute as well. Remember, the Ally Quinta fight, you, you might not remember, but I'll give you a little background. It started with Max Holloway going for go, moving up in weight to go for the 155-pound uh, belt. He gets taken out. Then Tony Ferguson becomes the replacement. Tony Ferguson trips on that wire backstage, blows his knee out a week before the fight or something like that. Ally Quinta already there says, I'll take the fight. So... Not only did he go to decision with him, he went to decision with a guy who barely he trained for. So, I, yeah, I'll, I'll give it to Al. I quit to that. But go ahead. Sorry. No, thank you. Because you're right. And that dude just look overlooked in the run. And if that's one of the weak points, we got to give that dude props for that reason. That was the fight before the McGregor fight. So to the world that don't remember it, that's why. That was six months before the McGregor fight. And the perception of Khabib drastically before the McGregor fight and after the McGregor fight the perception changed drastically, I should say. You heard, he was 16-0, so you heard roughly the 12, 13 fights he had in the UFC. And where do you rank him all time? Not just in the lightweight division, all time, all divisions, pound for pound. Um, I will have to say, and it might seem like a cop-out, but I'm with it. Khabib saying at the end, as he's giving a speech for his retirement, he says the one thing he asks is on Tuesday... UFC put me at the top pound for pound fighter. That's where I put him as well. We're talking about a guy that's 13 and 0. We're talking about a guy that only has in the UFC realistically one round one against him and that's with Connor who can be arguably one of the goats, right? For for the spectacle that is Connor, that's why he's a goat, right? For for being the first in the UFC to do what he did, double champ all that that comes with Connor. That's the only guy in the UFC that got got around against this man. So being that dominant for that long, and pretty much knocking everyone off 
this pedestal that was there, other than the fight we all all wanted, which it's the fight that got away, the Tony Ferguson fight, right? I don't see this going any different for Tony either. I'm I'm I'm, I'm sorry, but I love Tony, but it's not going any different. So for me, Khabib is the top echelon. The, the goat the goat at lightweight he GSP is one of my favorites and I have to say that for the record that Habib has in this modern era he is the top of the food chain no no doubts about it top of the food chain I'm with you I'm with you on most of what you said I'm one of the people that probably would put George Zapier or Spider Silva as my personal goat when it comes to the lightweight division you got Khabib Nurmagomedov pound for pound. He's the GOAT of this lightweight division, at least in the modern era of mixed martial arts. For everything you said about Conor, who could be considered the GOAT at lightweight and featherweight because of what he did for the sport, being the first champ champ, yada, yada, yada. He still lost in four to Khabib, and Khabib dominated him in a way we haven't seen Conor McGregor get dominated in the current UFC. Pound for pound, he is one of the GOATs. Is he the greatest of all time, in my personal opinion? No. Top five, and if you put him in your top five, I'm not going to argue it. I think he's more he's closer to 10 to 20 because a lot of people don't realize how many great fighters pound for pound there has been in this 20, 30 years of UFC. Correct. Yep, I'm with you. That's why That's why I want to specify modern era uh, specifically, especially for myself, because so, uh, Spider Silva is one of mine uh, as well, uh, Ghost, and I... That's why I wanted to preface it with GSP because GSP doesn't have a slight like Silva has with with um, with PEDs on his record, and we we can say whatever we want to say about it. But in the modern, we can even rephrase it in the modern USADA era. He's he's for me the greatest for the modern USADA era. There's, I mean, even just to go back to the fight. I was joking around with the same guy, my same buddy that didn't really see too many Khabib fights. I was joking around. I said Monday morning. That 6.30 or 7 o'clock a.m. Uh, Brazilian jiu-jitsu class across the world. You know what they're going to be working on? They're going to be working on triangle chokes from the top. <laughs> That's what they're going to be working on. Every single one of them is going to say, all right, we're going to work the top game today. And they're gonna, everyone's going to go, well, you know, we normally work from the bottom. Well, nope, we're working from the top today because you don't see that type of triangle choke the way Habib pulled it off. The way he pulled that off is like he was a, started with wrestling got over top and just slowly worked his body up and worked his ass up to the chest of Gaethje and then sinks what looks like it's going to be an arm bar. And now I saw from, from DC posting, I think from the DC and Hawani show that, and we, you know, this could be hyperbole or whatever you want to call it, but Khabib saying, Oh, well I went off of the arm bar because I knew his family was in the arena, and I didn't want to hurt Justin, so I'd rather choke him out instead of break his arm because I know Justin wouldn't have tapped. That's some crazy shit if that's real. (laughs) 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 You know what I mean? If Khabib's thinking that as he's about to basically break the guy's arm because Justin's arm was stuck behind Habib's armpit, right? So as he's getting ready for an armbar, he goes, oh, no, I don't want to, you know, disrespect him in front of his family. Let me just choke him out because I know he's not going to tap from an armbar because he said it. Gagey said, I'm not tapping. Oh, he's like, all right, well, I'll just put you to sleep then. <laughs> and Gagey tapped, and to his credit, too, because some people really, the, the perception of fighting is so different from person to person, man to man, woman to woman. Some people really have this perception that tapping out is like bitch made. For, for lack of a better term, you, you talk to the fighters, they feel like that. Even if they don't admit it, a lot of fighters 
feel like they're quitting and they don't want to quit. They legit would rather have the ref call it because they broke a bone or passed out than actually quit. And I'm happy that Gaethje saw the forest through the trees and was like, nope, I'm done, tap. Because Gaethje can live the fight another day. Gaethje will be a better fighter in the next fight now. Yeah, yeah, I'm with you 100%. There is that stigma, um, and it, it's tough because you're, you're right. With with When you talk about fighters, you always hear that they want to go out on their shield. Um, one of the biggest... One of the biggest examples of that was in boxing with uh, with the recent 2019, oh, wow, why can't I? Tyson Fury, um, Deontay Wilder, right? That was the one thing you heard him say right after his corner, throw, uh, Deontay Wilder's corner throws in the towel. He's, he says it himself. I wanted to go out on my shield. Why'd you, why'd you do that? Blah, 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 blah. Oh, yeah, that was this year. That was in that February. Was this year? Yeah, oh, the rematch. That was February. You're right. Oh, man. This year has been insane yeah this has been a, this, this year has simultaneously been lost to time and has lasted an actual 10 years so yeah so okay so that was this year great oh wow okay so that being said that being said that was yeah that was right before everything shut down so that was one of the last boxing fights we saw with the crowd i'm assuming because if it was february i mean it was february 22nd 2020 yeah exactly yeah so that's right right before everything kind of closed down so that's the perfect example of people wanting to go out on their shield and fighters wanting to go out on their quote-unquote shield. I understand that. But you're right, and that's why they have that, um, the UFC specifically has that stipulation where, hey, if you, with chokes specifically, if you go out, and the Gaethje situation is a little different, he did go out, but he was tapping, so that's kind of on the run. But if you go out without tapping, they actually take part of your purse to stay away from you guys harming yourself in that way for the fighters harming themselves in that way. But yeah, to, to go back and I just want to give that a little background, but to go back with Justin, he, he, like you said, saw the forest through the trees and there was nothing he could do. Once he got cinched up in that triangle, that was it, man. He, he was not going anywhere. And you know, it really put the pressure on him because Gaethje tried to, tried to almost forcefully stand up and kind of shimmy out of it. And that's when he dropped back down, and that's when it got shinched even tighter, and that's when he had to tap. It was over at that point. So to talk about Khabib the way he is, it was amazing, that fight. And one of the things they mentioned on the post-fight again, and I'm kind of kind of repeat what they're saying, is you saw from the Connor fight to the Poirier fight to the Gaethje fight, Khabib not only finished all three of those guys, he went round by round backwards. So he started with Connor, said, I'll end you in four. Went to Dustin, ended him in three. Went to Gaethje, ended him in two. Now, do I want to see Habib fight one more time? I would love to see it. But I understand the promise he made to his mother, and that's what he said, was, I'll have this one fight, and that's it. So, respect to a great career. And, I mean, he just he just puts the perfect little cherry on top of a great lightweight career. He's uh, a class a, act. He I don't know too many Khabib haters. If I, I don't know any Khabib haters. The dude's a class act. He won a lot of fans over from the only real time he slipped up, emotionally speaking, was after the McGregor fight, and he had every right to be that pissed off. So, moving forward, though, we still have a lightweight division that doesn't have a champ once Khabib is officially retired, which should be right after they do make him the number one pound-for-pound fighter in the world. But, right now, we have... According to Brett Akimoto, this is ESPN. You know, we watch it on ESPN. UFC got the deal. So, you know, these people, Brett Akimoto is one of the best MMA writers going. 
he has three options for the lightweight title picture after UFC 254. Option one, I'll give you all three twice, just so, you know, give you some second to think about this. Okay. Did you see this yet? No, I did not, actually. Okay, cool, cool. So we actually can have our real first reactions. I, I chose not to read this before, you know, we talked about it. Option one, book Conor McGregor versus Dustin Poirier on January 23rd for the vacant lightweight championship. Option two, host a mini tournament early in 2021. Option three, scrap McGregor versus Poirier on January 23 and book McGregor versus Justin Gaethje for the vacant lightweight championship. So one more time. Option one, book Conor McGregor versus Dustin Poirier on January 23rd for the vacant lightweight championship. Option two, mini tournament early 2021. And option three, scrap McGregor versus Poirier two on, on the 23rd and book McGregor versus Gaethje for the vacant title. Which one do you want the most or would you, do you think you would like the most and or which one do you think is the most realistic? Ooh, okay, so that, that cha- those two questions actually change my answers for the both of them. I Personally, I would rather have either the mini tournament in 21 or Connor Gaethje. Yo, that, I, I, listen, before you even go on, yes, my okay. choice too is mini okay. tournament. I am mini tournament. Every time there's a vacancy, go tournament. It's more fighting. It's more of the sport. It, fuck interims. You can just make a champion. Correct. Yep, that's that's why I go with that as my number one. The reason I don't want to... I'll give you the reason for the non... Uh, the non-Connor Poirier fight. I don't think you can give someone an option without Gaethje being that option. That is 100% unfair to Gagey. I understand he just lost. But he lost to the guy that beat both those guys. So what the hell? how can you can't do Gagey dirty like that. You you just can't. I understand he lost, but he was the interim. So he lost his interim, but you know, he's still the number one contender. So you can't do Gagey dirty like that. That's why I I can't subscribe to the Poirier McGregor fight. Now, on the business aspect of it, I do think the UFC is going to fuck all the fight fans over and they're going to do Poirier McGregor <laughs> as the fight. Hmm. That be my reasoning. And I'll, I'll give you my reasoning for that is because having Connor as a champ gives them so much more eyes. It, it doesn't matter if it's a legit champ or whatever it is. Connor with gold wrapped around him is a Connor. Everyone from the, from hardcore fight fans to casuals that only watch Conor McGregor fights are going to watch because now he has that UFC gold again. I don't want that to happen, but I do see the UFC doing their the thing that the UFC does and goes, oh, well, we're going to go with what's going to make us that big dollar amount and uh, we'll figure it out. Now, do I say Justin gets thrown out of that? No. I'm, I assume if that happens, Justin then goes up and – well, not goes up, but stays at that weight and fights whoever the winner of that fight is, which – Okay, but the one thing that is funny that I'm surprised Brett didn't talk about, Brett uh, Akimoto didn't talk about, was we have that Bellator, uh, that Bellator fighter that came over, Michael Chandler. He is at lightweight. He was the backup for this Gaethje uh, Khabib fight. So my question kind of is, and I'll pose this to you a little bit: Where do you think he might fall with those those four fighters? So we got Connor, we got Dustin. 
we got Gaethje, we got Chandler, and you know what? I'll even throw in we got Ferguson in there. Okay. That's the five fighters we're working with, really, right? Well, according to the rankings before the redo of the pound for pounds, at least, two days after UFC 254, you still got Khabib as champ, so vacate him, right? Like you said, you got Gaethje, who was the interim slash just lost to the champ. You got Poirier at two, Ferguson at three, McGregor at four, Dan Hooker at five, Charles Oliveira at six, Paul uh, Felder at seven, and Diego Ferreira at eight. Now, you can replace Ferreira with Chandler, the one you just said came over, right? So that one through eight would hypothetically be the tournament. So how would you feel about about Gaethje versus Chandler? Is that how they want to start off? Chandler's career in the UFC? Or do you give him somebody else? But that kind of messes with the rankings. Yeah, uh, I don't know. I think, yeah, because right now we, we won't have uh, Chandler ranked because he hasn't fallen in the UFC yet, right? So that's why he's not going to show well, let me the rankings. I'll, I'll, I'll read uh, what Brett Akimoto wrote in the article because I didn't really do that justice. And he, he also says a lot of what we take for granted uh, knowledge-wise about the UFC, because we're saying tournament, and he writes it here, but me and you both know it's not going to be a tournament like the old Pride tournament. Yeah, it's not It's not a Grand Prix, right? Yeah, so, th- and now this is his words. I use the, the word tournament, end quote, you know, quote, end quote, loosely here, because the UFC doesn't do tournaments. White is not a fan of tournaments in the traditional sense of the word and never will be, but UFC could book McGregor versus Poirier as a non-title fight and book Tony Ferguson versus Michael Chandler as a non-title fight with the understanding that the two winners will face off for the title. Now, the UFC could essentially create the same understanding by just making McGregor Poirier for, fight for the title and calling Ferguson versus Chandler a number one contender fight. It's more or less the same, right? But this would be a different way to promote basically the same thing depending on what narrative the UFC wants to create, which they are right because what we're doing is the same thing. It, like You are right because they probably will make that the title fight just to try to see if it'll get on Connor and get the bank that Connor brings when it's a five-round Connor fight. So... Me and you both are conceding the reality of the situation kind of circles around how much of the notorious ones, I was going to say something else, how much of the notorious one is Dana White going to cater to? And, or is he going to cater to the fans and promote the title as the point and just hold a couple, you could do it back to back weeks even, if you book this the right way, and then spend six months promoting Six to eight months promoting the title fight. Yeah, yeah. Back to back, you can even do the same card if you wanted to. I mean, I know they don't probably want to do that, but you could do the Poirier-McGregor fight and the Tony Ferguson-Michael Chandler fight as a main and a co-main or just a main and a a three-rounder. You could do that on the same card. I don't see a problem with that. You can do that weeks separated. So, yeah, I agree with you. I was going to say, my eyes, I see... Chandler fighting Ferguson. That's a perfect entry into, is Chandler really about this? Is he just another Bellator fighter that's going to come over and get lost in the rankings? Because we know how the UFC does Bellator fighters, how they do any of their fighters. We're not, they're not going to let you fight some, not to say scrub, because none of these guys are scrub, but we're not going to let you fight ladder top 15. You're fighting top 10. If you were the man over at Bellator, you better show that you're the man here too. So, I like the Ferguson-Chandler fight. I still get upset with that whole situation because what happens to Gaethje? That's that's going to be my problem no matter what. Even if it's a, even if like you said, let's not sell it. Let's let's not sell it that Poirier McGregor get 
the title picture, right? They don't get that title fight, and it's just more of a number one contender versus another these other two guys, and then those two, whoever wins out of those two fights gets to fight each other for the belt. That still leaves Justin out in the wind, and I don't think that's fair to him. Now, you know, fair is, you know... Yeah, what's fair in, in this sport right now, especially with Dana right. White. Like, exactly. But with but what you're saying makes sense when you think about Gaethje still there for one of the dust settles. Hypothetically, a year to a year and a half from now, that's a fresh fight with whoever comes out of this. And also, that's not even uh, taken away that if there is no tournament and, you know, the belt goes to McGregor, we can still get McGregor-Gaethje as a title fight, as the right. first title fight. It's all up to how the UFC is going to do this going forward, and that's a conversation that we're going to be here for. It's just, you know, we, this, we literally know nothing right now. And when it comes to promoting, as much as Dana White likes to act like he isn't, he's much like a boxing promoter. He's going to go where the money is, and anyone that's paying attention to the sport knows that's Connor. So Correct. we're kind of both figuring reality will circle somewhere with Conor McGregor which leans away from a tournament, irregardless of how cool a tournament would be. Exactly, yeah. It's, I mean, looking at it as a realistic perspective, that's, you gotta, you gotta have that bubble around Connor. It's gotta be around him, because he, no matter what, is the moneymaker, and he hasn't done what he wants to do as, you know, in January of 2020, beginning of the year, him talking about, I want to fight all these times, this, that, and the other thing. I want to make my name back in MMA. I want to be where my home is, all that stuff. I get it. The other thing we're, we're all kind of, everyone's kind of missing is, we could have a Gaethje-Poirier rematch. Remember, they, they fought already, and that's one of Gaethje's losses. So that's not out of the question either, is a Gaethje-Poirier rematch for the belt. There's there's so much that could be done at this division right now, That, but it is the top four. When you're looking at the lightweight division, it's the top four guys and Chandler somewhere in that mix. So it, it's it's really up in there. We got we got to see what happens. I just don't want Gaethje being left in the wind because again, he worked his ass off to get to where he is now. And even though he lost, he deserves much more than being left out in the wind because they want to have a round robin between Poirier, Ferguson, McGregor, and Michael Chandler. No, so. I'm with you on that. We got one more thing before we sign off, and it's just, there's a fight happening next Saturday, like usual. It's against Uriah Hall and some man that we just said was our GOAT, or one of our GOATs, Anderson Silva. Who you got in this middleweight contest happening on Halloween? Oh, it's unfair. (laughs) It's unfair. I think this is a good chance for Uriah Hall to get a large, large name under his belt. So... Realistically, I would I would say Uriah Hall might pull this one out. As a fan, I, I'm Anderson Silva all day, man. As a fan, I don't give a damn what what anyone says. Anderson Silva. <laughs> You're right. So. Realistically, Uriah Hall should win this. The age difference, the points of their career, and if Anderson Silva's really done, like the, most most of his losses have came in recent years, he's not the Anderson Silva of old. But if he's the Anderson Silva that went up against Izzy the way he did, maybe Israel was just respecting him too much. We're going to find out with this fight. You're saying realistically Uriah Hall. I'll just make my pick. I'll go first with my official prediction and say Anderson Silva wins by split decision. Okay. 
going to go Uriah Hall. Ooh, um, I'm going to go Uriah Hall by by unanimous, actually. Just straight up, he's going to get two out of the... Is it a, It's the main event, so get three out of the five. That's what I'm going with. Unanimous Uriah Hall. Uh, all right. Well, tell them where they yeah. can find you, cuz. Um, you can find me everywhere, uh, all the socials, Instagram, Twitter, at towens1105. Um, yeah, everywhere. I do have one thing to add real quick before we do sign off. Oh, do Don't it. forget the the uh, fight right before the main event next week is Andre Feely versus Bryce Mitchell. Bryce Mitchell, the man right now coming up in the game at ranked 15 in the featherweight division, will be rocking his camo shorts, apparently. So any hardcores that know what I'm talking about, he's got his camo shorts from Reebok, which is apparently going to happen. So keep a lookout for Bryce Mitchell in that fight yeah, as well. I love when you go full MMA nerd. I love it. <laughs> so there you go. But yeah, like I said, Instagram, Twitter, T. Owens1105. You can find me there, man. Sweet. Not the Chuck D, Instagram and Twitter, and we are at the Dope Blog at the underscore Dope Blog on Instagram, at the Dope Blog all one word on Twitter, and at the Dope Blog and Podcast on Facebook. Like and subscribe all the podcasts on iTunes and Spotify, and we love discussing the excellence that is mixed martial arts and boxing. So holler at you boys. Peace. See ya. Than your average. <laughs> Motherfucker, I'm here.